Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. I bet some who are new think that we do that so I could be on the stair and you can see me over the pulpit, but uh, not so. You, you get to see me out here, for better or for worse. We have uh, two more Sundays with the Psalms today, and uh, our brother David Aruda will close out the Psalms next week, and then we'll begin, uh, Lord willing, the life of Moses. Again, I'm preaching to you this Sunday, one of my wife's three favorite psalms, Psalm 27 that I preached a month ago, uh, approximately is one of her favorite as well, and Psalm 103. This psalm is magnificent. This psalm is wonderful. This psalm is a favorite of so many, especially the opening verse. Every song that our brother Paul D'Amano selected for this morning goes along with some theme in this psalm. I didn't tell him to do that. He just does it on his own. He has wisdom and discernment when it comes to song selection. This psalm, besides being so magnificent and talking about the Lord as our dwelling place, our refuge, our protector, it's difficult sometimes to place the statements of this psalm in perspective in our life because a lot of what our brother Joey read, we would all recognize that at some point or another in our life, those statements simply do not appear to be true. I'm going to try to bring out reasons for that as we go through the 16 verses of this psalm. But let me just say this, to use prayer as an illustration. The scripture says, whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. And sometimes by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we actually do live in the fullness of the Spirit, the control of the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is shown, and this is true of us. We keep His commandments. We're doing those things that are pleasing in His sight for the right motive, His glory. And we pray, and the answer is a no. We have to remember that whether it's prayer or whether it's the Lord as our refuge and protector, our dwelling place, that there are other things that we need to consider. Another verse says that we have confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, now there's another aspect we need to consider with answered prayer. It's not simply that we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. It's that it is also his will. So those two work together. Here in this psalm, this psalm does accurately describe the experience to a large degree of every true believer in Christ. And I'll try to show you that. If you like titles... The title of this psalm is, The Lord is Your Dwelling Place. Not just the psalmist, 
but he is your dwelling place. If you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, the Lord is your dwelling place just as much as, it, as the Lord is the psalmist's dwelling place. In this psalm, the Lord is revealed as your refuge and protector. You know, what I find interesting is that the psalms that have been preached this summer thus far have a common theme. And David Gilson and I didn't plan this out. It just turned out this way. There's the idea, the theme of the Lord being our protector, our defender, in the midst of trials, because trials come and trusting in Him. This is how the Lord is revealed in this psalm. This psalm is also a wisdom psalm. The first 13 verses are the wisdom part, and then you may have noticed the last three verses. The Lord Himself speaks to the psalmist, and the Lord is speaking to each one of us here this morning as well. If you take only one thing away from this morning's teaching on Psalm 91, please let it be this. Understand this. Talk to the Lord about it. Pray about it. Meditate on it. Contemplate it. Remember it. The Lord does not allow anything to enter your life or mine that is not part of his salvation plan for you. He is able to exclude from your life anything he so chooses. Nothing in your life takes him by surprise. Nothing that comes upon you in your life is capable of overcoming the Lord. At the very end, he says, I will show him my salvation. The Lord is showing every one of us every day that we're on this earth his salvation plan for you and I. The end goal is the same. It's to complete us for heaven. That completion taking place, as John writes, we shall be like him when we see him as he is. But this entire life, his salvation plan for every one of you who has trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation is to prepare you for an eternity of glory with Him. He uses our life here and the situations and circumstances and the trials to prepare us, to smooth off the rough edges, to make us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ in character, to produce more holiness in us. If there's anything that we don't like that enters our life, it's necessary to make us more like Christ. God is not to blame for it. We are to blame that we needed that to tear down perhaps an idol of our heart. This psalm is in four stanzas. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go into the reason why it's four stanzas and not just three or a different number. There's going to be a couple slides for the sake of time that I'll skip over, but they're going to be on the website. 
Take a look at them, and if you have any questions, I'll show you what they are. I'm not going to teach on them for the sake of time. Ask me, and I'll explain it to you. And it's not just so you understand this psalm. It's going to explain what's called bookends. Bookends are like the slices of bread around a sandwich. And I only wanted to include this to help you appreciate the psalms for yourself so that you will see the beauty of the psalms for yourself. So take a look at it during the week if the Lord gives you time to do so, and by all means, ask me about it. But these are the four stanzas. The Lord is your refuge. The Lord is your protector. The Lord can. He can always intervene on your behalf in any trial. The Lord will show you his salvation. So these are the two slides that we're just going to skip over and get right into this psalm now. The Lord is your refuge. And for those who are new to Grace Gospel Church, uh, uh, David and I do our slideshows similarly. What you're going to see is the purple heading is not really an outline point or anything like that. These are the main points. But the purple headings, under each one of those, there's the first one, the Lord is your refuge, they bring out a truth from the Scripture that's underneath it, a truth that relates to the main point that we're talking about. That's how everything connects. So here we have in the very first verse the fact of the Lord's refuge. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Shelter and shadow. How does shadow become a shelter? There is a beautiful word picture in the first four verses of this psalm. This is why they go together, all four verses. They're not to be split up because it's the same word picture. And the one who dwells in that shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. You might think that there can be no trials or troubles that could ever enter your life. But that's not what it's getting at here. Many of you have heard of uh, Elizabeth Elliot. Her husband... And I think she spoke at Grace Gospel Church when you all were over on, uh, on Sharpslot Road. My wife sat under her ministry. Uh, her husband and two of the other five missionaries who were martyred are associated with my church background back in Connecticut. We know them well. The second book she wrote about the first one was through Gates of Splendor, where she recounts their martyrdom in the early 1950s. The second one focused more on her husband, some of his journal writings, and it was called The Shadow of the Almighty. Here is a woman. Whenever my wife plays a, a, a short video of Elizabeth Elliot, I stop what I'm doing so I can listen and learn. She's amazing. Can you imagine? 
She has a young child under five years old. Her husband's bringing the gospel to the Waharani Indians in Ecuador, in the jungles of Ecuador, and he's put to death. And when she writes a book about her husband, even though he gave his life in service of his Lord, she calls that book Shadow of the Almighty. Wrap your mind around that. Think about that. How is that the shadow of the Almighty? And she was under that shadow and her little daughter as well. How is that the shadow of the Almighty? The Lord doesn't ask us all to go through this the way Elizabeth Elliot did. He knows I would never succeed in such a trial. Perhaps you feel that way too. But this is an interesting word picture. Let me tell you what this word picture is, the shadow of the Almighty. It's the picture of a mother bird, particularly a mother hen. And you're going to see how this comes out in the next three verses. Perhaps some of you have seen that. You've been around a farm. I had one across the street growing up. And maybe you've seen this happen. You've seen a hawk flying. And there's all the chickens and the little chicks. They're out of the coop. They're feeding. They're in the yard there. And when that mother bird sees that hawk, she makes a sound, she spreads out her wings, and all the little chicks come under the shadow of her wings for protection so they're not picked off by the hawk. This is the word picture here, and you see, you're going to see how the psalmist develops it. This is the fact of his refuge. There is refuge under the wings in the shadow of the Almighty. The shadow of the Almighty, his shelter, that's in his presence. We need to be in the presence of the Lord, not gone astray like the lost sheep. That refuge, that protection under the shadow of his wings is in the presence of the Lord. The psalmist recognizes the fact of his refuge, and then he gives a statement of trust in the Lord's refuge. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This is his statement of trust in what he knows and believes to be true. That the Lord is a mighty refuge that can shelter him under his wings. The other thing this would have conjured up in the minds of the Jews who read this is the Ark of the Covenant covered with the mercy seat. They were sheltered under the wings of the outstretched cherubim molded in gold on the golden mercy seat covering over the mercy seat. They were a form of protection. They were a form 
of refuge in the holy of holy places, in the tabernacle and Solomon's temple that we learned about when we studied Hebrews. It's not enough that there is the fact that the Lord is your refuge. Your trust in that refuge, no matter what comes upon your life or mine, our trust is what is important. It's something we need to say. It's something we need to believe. The Lord doesn't force us. We're not marionettes on strings. And the Lord pulls a string and our head pops back and our mouth opens. And we say, I trust you, Lord. I love you, Lord. No, it comes from us. Sure, the Holy Spirit produces that in us, but he doesn't force us. Trust has to come from within us based on the fact that the Lord is a powerful, mighty refuge. What is the effect of that refuge? It is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. The effect is deliverance. You can write that on your outline as well. Besides the word effect, you can put at the end of that deliverance. That is the effect of his refuge. His refuge gives you deliverance from what would harm us spiritually. Now, when it says the snare of the trapper, I don't really like that translation. And here's why. When I read that, I think about a leg hold snare or something that an animal would step in and then it pulls tight on their leg. Or you may have seen some movie, some, somebody blunders along, steps in the leg hold snare, and they end up upside down, you know, hanging from a tree. That's not the picture here. Some translations translate it from the snare of the fowler or from the net of the fowler. The word snare there is a general Hebrew word for something that is spread out. It's not a noose, not a rope. It's something that's spread out. It's used of a sheet of metal, a flat sheet of metal. It's used of a net. And that's the way it really ought to be translated here. From the net, not of any trapper, but a fowler. An older English word, we don't talk about that. A fowler is someone who caught birds. So in the trees, they set up a net. And depending on what size bird they want to catch, depends on how large or small the netting is. The bird flies through it and gets caught. And they can catch a lot of birds that way. The Lord delivers you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. You can't see these. You're not aware of them. It's not like the bird says, oh, there's a net. I'm going to try and fly through it. These are spiritual dangers. These are physical trials in your life as well at times that you cannot see the deadly pestilence. They didn't understand diseases then, that it was microorganisms and in some cases parasites that cause illnesses. They just know people got sick and died. They didn't know how. They couldn't see 
the microbes that cause the illness. The bird doesn't see the net of the fowler. You and I have no idea how often the Lord delivers us from something. Some trial comes upon our life. We see that trial. We focus on that trial. And that's what occupies our attention. What we fail to recognize so often is how many hours, how many days, how many weeks, how many months do we not have trials? We see only the most grievous trials, and sometimes there are lasting effects of those. Again, that's part of his salvation plan for you. But new trials don't keep on happening day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, very often not year in, year out. He does protect every single one of us. When it comes to grievous trials and suffering in life, could we say that 1% of our life experiences that? Maybe 1%. Oh, Paul, my life has been a lot worse than, than yours. Okay. You know, I'm not out here to uh, compare, okay? But what? 5% of your life? What about the other 95%? Is it not possible that every day could be sheer misery and a new misery on top of misery? I, I want us to see this. This is a different way of looking at things. Look at what he does for us. Think of what he could be keeping us from when at the end of the day you look back and you say, this was a good day. This really was a good day. Or there was just one minor conflict or inconvenience in that day. The only thing that happened was I got stuck in traffic because of an accident. Could not things be so much worse? It is for some people. The Lord does protect us. This is the effect of his refuge. He rescues us every single day from things we never see. Just look back on any day that you did not have great suffering or trials or tribulations. And that's a day that very well the effect, the deliverance of his refuge has occurred in your life. The outworkings of his, of his refuge. And here, this verse closes out the beautiful image of the mother hen guarding her chicks under her wings. He will cover you with his pinions. Pinions is an old word for wings. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark, it's armor. The Lord's faithfulness is your armor. It is my armor. It is Him. He is the armor. I'm defenseless 
against these trials and tribulations and sufferings. He is the one who protects me. I'm not tough enough to fight them off myself, stand against them. He is our shield that protects us. He is our bulwark. He covers us under his wings, and there we find refuge. This is the outworkings. This is how it works out. It is his faithfulness. The Lord is not only your refuge, he is your protector. From what and when the Lord protects you? What does he protect you from? When does he protect you? The, the psalmist lists four things here. The terror by night. Think back to your childhood. How you were afraid of the dark, perhaps. And it caused terror. You wanted the night light on. I mean, we don't have to stretch our imagination. I was a weird kid. I didn't mind the dark for some weird reason. Now I'm a weird adult. But be that as it may, some of you can relate to, and even if you can't, you know of children who are afraid of the dark. What's under the bed? What's in the closet? It's only in the dark. Those terrors are there. Or the arrow that flies by day. In those days, there was not very much warfare waged at night. They didn't have night vision goggles. They didn't have advanced weaponry. They fought wars and battles during the day. The arrow flies by day. In the dark of night, other than a full moon, they're not going to be able to shoot somebody with an arrow. It comes. It can come at any time in the life of a person. There's no time when we're safe. The pestilence, again, the unseen danger that stalks in the darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. He repeats himself using different words, night and day, darkness and noon, the height of the sun, the brightest time of the day. The Lord can protect you at any time. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. Unlike uh, what our brother Tommy was mentioning, Elijah called out, call louder. Maybe Baal is asleep. Okay, our God never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never tires. His strength never runs out. His power to protect and be your protector never diminishes. He can protect us from what? From anything. Terror. Arrow. Pestilence. Destruction. It doesn't matter what it is. The psalmist is painting a picture that the Lord can protect you from anything. And if it, in His infinite wisdom, grace, mercy, and love, something does come into your life, it is part of his salvation plan. He doesn't want you to have your best life now and the worst eternity. He wants you to have the best, most blessed eternity with him, even if there is pain and suffering in this life, which we need to prepare us for his eternal glory and salvation. The extent of the Lord's protection in trials. Look at this word picture. You know, when I read this verse, 
it conjured up in my mind an image from one of the Lord of the Ring movies. I mean, most of you have probably seen those. And, and the vast battlefields with masses of tens of thousands of computer-generated uh, warriors... What does he say? A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand. You know, I, I sort of picture myself like one of the hobbits racing out there with a tiny sword. And all the enemies are falling. I did nothing. The Lord did it. Remember Gethsemane? He's surrounded by a mob. This is dozens, perhaps scores of individuals who have come to arrest him at Gethsemane. Some feel, some scholars feel, that there were over a hundred that surrounded the garden and a portion of them approached. They wanted to make sure no one got away. And the Lord says, whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And they fall to the ground. Not one of them is left standing. Not very bright, they get up again to answer the bell for round two. And he says, who do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. I am he, and the sound of his voice sends them all to the canvas, to the ground again. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. It's not just the Old Testament. In Gethsemane, it was fulfilled literally. The Lord can do the same thing in your life. He can flatten any spiritual enemy, any physical trial that would come against you that is not part of his salvation plan for you. The psalmist may not have experienced this actual thing, but he knows it's true of the Lord God, his dwelling place, his refuge, his protector. It's not only that the Lord can keep you in trials, but he can keep you from trials. You will only look on from a distance with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Think for a moment. Some of you read the news online or listen to the news or watch the evening news. You read about trials and trouble throughout the world, whether it be in the United States or in the larger world, you're only looking on that with your eyes. You're not experiencing it firsthand. How many of those trials would you say are impossible for you to ever have in your life? A fire devours Maui. You could not devour your home too, my home. There's virtually no trial in the world that we could not experience a similar trial in our life. And yet we don't. You only look on with your eyes. Here, it is the wicked who will experience the trials that he's thinking of. In life, it's not always the wicked. Sometimes it happens even to children of God. The key point here is you only look on with your eyes. He keeps us from so many trials. And again, we don't always recognize that. When you turn in 
tonight to go to sleep. Look back on your day. How little trial did you experience this day? Tomorrow, Tuesday. How about this past week? None of us experienced a truly catastrophic trial this past week. Why? Because we're all sitting here and we're not in a hospital bed. The Lord keeps us from trials. Never, ever forget that. And it's not just something for up here, don't forget. Thank him for it. Show your gratitude in prayer and worship for keeping you from trials. The reason for the Lord's protection is for you have made the Lord, the psalmist is now talking to the reader, for you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. This is why things will not come upon you, because you have made the Lord. Again, as I mentioned in Psalm 19, Lord is all capital letters. That's the covenant name of God, Yahweh, the covenant name. Covenant, his relationship with his people Israel. It brings out a covenant relationship. You and I as believers in Christ, as Christians, we have a covenant relationship based on the new covenant. We remembered it collectively as an assembly of Christians, as a local church this morning with the bread and the wine, the bread and the cup. We have a covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the blood of the new covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ said. You've made the covenant Lord your refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. This is why, this is the reason for the Lord's protection. What are the possibilities of the Lord's protection? Is there any limit? Are there boundaries? Can we get outside that boundary and then the Lord's not able to protect us? The psalmist says in verse 10, no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. These are the possibilities. If the Lord wants it in your life or mine, no evil will come upon you. He's able to do that. Does... Do any of us here this morning who name the name of Christ doubt that he could keep all trial, all tribulation, all suffering, all misery, all evil from us? Does anyone think his arm is too short to save, to deliver, to rescue us? The psalmist says, no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. Even the unseen spiritual dangers won't come near you. Even the unseen potential trials in life won't come near your tent, won't come near you. This is the possibility. There's nothing that he's not able to do. You know, Psalm 119, verse 68 says, you are good and you do good. Uh, uh, Deuteronomy 32 says, all your works are good. Uh, Job 22 says, all your ways are uh, uh, Deuteronomy said, all, all your ways are, are perfect. Uh, Job 22, all your ways are perfect. Deuteronomy 32, all your works are perfect. 
James says this, every perfect gift and every good gift comes down from the Father. Jesus Christ said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father in heaven give what is good? God can only give what is good. In fact, not just good, but perfect. If God only could do 99%, is he perfect? No, he's 99% God. But he's a perfect God. Brothers and sisters, everything that enters our life is as from a father's hand. Let us take, the traditional hymn goes, let us take as from a father's hand our part of pain or blessing. Let us take as from a father's hand. The, the Lord's protection is always possible. There's no limit to it. He's able to protect us from anything. If he doesn't, it is part of his salvation plan. In fact, it's not a bad thing. Sure, we don't like it, and I get that. I don't like it either. You know, I, you know a trial comes in, pain, suffering. I throw out my back, and I'm in pain. I don't say, oh, goody, i got to get me more of that. Not at all. I, I get that. But there is a sense, a very real and true and eternal sense that any kind of pain and suffering in this life, we need it to become more like Christ. God is more concerned with our eternity than he is our life now. You know, the cross teaches us that. Jesus Christ in Gethsemane told Peter, put up your sword. Do you not think that even now I could ask the Father and he would send 12 legions of angels, 36,000 to 72,000 angels to rescue him? What chance is that crowd that his voice flattened, what chance would they have against 72,000 angels? We read in Scripture of a single angel that slew, and history records this, over 180,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. One angel. And the Assyrians withdrew. It's recorded in secular history as well. Not the angel part. The Bible reveals that part. Do you know how we know that the Lord can deliver in that way and why the Lord does allow trials in our life. The Lord said he could ask, do you think for one second that if the Father didn't want the Son to go to the cross that our Lord Jesus Christ would even have to ask the Father to send those angels? The Father would have sent them right away. There never would have been a cross. But it was part of God's salvation plan. Without the cross... There is no salvation. Without the cross for Christ, there is no crown for Christ. The same is true of you and I. Not a literal cross, but the trials of life. There is no crown without the cross. If it was true in Jesus and the servant is not greater than his master, why wouldn't that be true of us? The cross was part of God's salvation plan for Christ it was part of his salvation plan for you and I. 
the trials and tribulations of life are in a different sense part of God's salvation plan. The Lord can intervene on your behalf. The Lord has servants to intervene on your behalf. He will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Hebrews 1.14 says the angels are ministering spirits for the heir of salvation. Not only does he have servants, but he can intervene in any trial at any point in your life or mine supernaturally. Angels are supernatural. They will bear you up. The picture there is, as you know from the Gospels, when Satan tried to tempt Christ with this verse to cast himself off the pinnacle of the temple. And even though there's gravity, the angels would bear him up. That's supernatural intervention to overcome gravity. The Lord can intervene supernaturally. He's not limited and bound by what man is bound. With God, all things are possible. The Lord can intervene even in dangerous circumstances. You'll tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample down. The young lion is not the baby lion. It's the lion in its prime. It's not a toothless, old, starving, emaciated lion. It's the young lion. It's the serpent. There is victory over them. Just as Peter had victory over the storms and he walked on the waves, here a different kind of image of trampling down, walking on even the powerful young lion and the venomous serpent. The Lord can intervene even in dangerous circumstances in your life. And lastly, the Lord will show you his salvation. Who will he show his salvation to? Those who love him. They will see his salvation, not just in this life, but throughout eternity. The real goal, the fullness of salvation. And the fullness of salvation is beholding the face of the Lord Jesus in glory. Because he has loved me, the, the Lord will show salvation to the ones who love him. Therefore, I will deliver him. This will become the greatest reality for every one of us who has trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation in his finished work on the cross when he bore the sins of the world in his body and he suffered the wrath and judgment of God so that you wouldn't have to if you would place your faith and trust in what he did and reject any hollow, empty, impotent works that you might try to do. No works, no prayers, no giving, no church involvement will ever earn you salvation. The scripture says he saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. The Lord will show his salvation to those who love him. He will set him securely on high in glory one day because he has known my name. Do you know his name this morning? Have you trusted in him for salvation? Him and him alone? The name Jesus. His name is the highest. We sang that. Have you trusted in that name? Do you know that name? Does that name live in you? Is that the desire of your heart to bring glory to the name of 
of Jesus. The Lord will show his salvation through answering your prayers. He will call upon me and I will answer him. You know, our brother Gilson talked about a prayer journal. And A.W. Tozer uh, keeping a prayer journal. What an important lesson. You know, again, what we focus on are the trials, not the days and times of no trials. What we too often focus on is what we might call unanswered prayer, where the answer is no. Sure, we, we thank the Lord when he answers yes, but we're so quick to forget those, aren't we? Maybe it's just me, but I think some of you can relate to that as well. But the no's, well, that sticks in our craw, and we keep on praying for it again and again. We might even try to fulfill that in our own power, if that's even the case. But the Lord shows his salvation through answered prayer. Has the Lord ever answered any of your prayers? I, I think he has. He's answered mine. The Lord shows his salvation in the midst of trouble. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue and honor him. Remember this. Take comfort in this. That no matter what comes upon you in your life, the Lord is with you. Remember when we studied Joseph? There was a statement four times in that chapter when Joseph is in Potiphar's house. The Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with him. And then he's in prison. You know what it said there? The Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with him. It didn't matter whether he was in Potiphar's house, a wealthy home, with all the luxuries that he could have, or whether he was in Pharaoh's prison. The Lord was with him. The Lord will be with you and I no matter what our circumstances in life. He will never abandon us. The Lord will show his salvation throughout your life. With a long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. I think the height of this verse and this psalm is seeing the salvation of the Lord and the fullness of it we will see when we behold him face to face. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for the beauty and the power of this psalm. How we thank you most of all for what it says about you. Oh Lord, help us to remember these words and press them upon us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we might truly believe them. That you are our dwelling place that we are under the shadow of the Almighty. Let us see your salvation each day. Let us recognize how you deliver and keep us from so many trials and tribulations, so much suffering and misery. And dear God, we even acknowledge that which has come upon our life. And we know it's from a Father's hand. It's what we needed at that time to be more like your son. And so we thank you even for that because of what you want to accomplish. Oh, Lord Jesus, one day, please come for us. Take us to be with yourself that we may behold your glory and your salvation. Amen.